Hello, and welcome to the Career Canvas podcast, where we paint the careers and unique perspectives of professionals knee-deep in their industry while also getting to know them outside their 9 to 5. This week, we are graced with the presence of Ephraim Prero. Ephraim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Ephraim is responsible for the day-to-day operations of multifamily buildings, which includes leasing, maintenance, remodeling, maintaining building systems, and tenant relations. Sounds like a pretty busy job. Did I get it all? Yeah, that's definitely the, uh, the headers that I like to use. It is a busy job. I'll jump right into it. Did you always want to work in real estate, specifically on the operation side? I definitely always wanted to be in real estate. I don't think I ever knew exactly what it meant, but the ideas of owning and running properties whether it be apartment buildings or or larger buildings, commercial buildings or hotels or seeing buildings being built or remodeled uh, always appealed to me from a young age. And a lot of the people that I knew who were successful in my community and the world at large were either full-time in the real estate industry or connected to the real estate industry. So um, I've always wanted to pursue that. Fascinating. And, what, and how did you get involved specifically on the operations side? So on the operations side, I was dropping my friend off, our friend, actually, you know him too, uh, C. Atkin off at O'Hare Airport for sure. his wedding weekend. He was flying to New York. I was flying probably a day later than he was or something like that. Um, and I got a call from Hanani Teller and Ephraim Krohn, who were working at the Wi-Fi building, which is a uh, Jewish-owned uh, office building in the Chicagoland area in Skokie. It has like a, a base medrash there and a restaurant. So they were there and there were these two uh, partners who came into the restaurant. And like, you guys are young guys, you know, we're, we just opened a, a real estate firm, We've got a couple of properties and we're looking for, you know, a guy to come in. So they're like, we know the guy and his name is Fry. So they, <laughs> they called me, I dropped Svi off at the airport. I was literally in the car. I drove to my, my apartment at the time. I showered, I shaved, I put on a suit and I ran over to the building. Turns out that they didn't remember what their company was called or <laughs> what office suite they were in. So I had, I was, I was actually in insurance at the time, um, making my exit. And my phone was a previous salesman's phone as well. So I had like a lot of contacts stored that weren't necessarily all my specific contacts. So I just looked them up in my phone um, and I found uh, Tani Schnell's name in my phone and I called him and I said, hey, like I heard you're looking for someone, I'm your guy. So, you know, he was on the way out, whatever. He's like, great, let's do a phone interview. And, you know, I'm a pretty straight shooter. If I like you, you know, I'll tell you, you know, I'll tell you what the next steps are. So we talked, we have a lot of mutual connections and, you know, I told him, I'll just, I'm ready to work for you. I'll work for free to start, you know, just to get the experience. And then, you know, if it's working out, you can decide, you know, what, what, what you want. Obviously he liked that. Who doesn't like a little free labor? <laughs> um, Not bad. You're right. So he said, you know, sounds good. When can you meet? She said, well, I'm going out of town for my friend's wedding and then I'm driving his car back. So, you know, how about whatever, Tuesday? 
So he's like, okay, Tuesday. So I showed up to the building on Tuesday that they were just taking over management of. And this was their third building. So we had like a 20 something unit building and a 60 unit building. And then this was a, a 50 unit building that they were taking over um, in Uptown. And I showed up with a pen and a paper, pen and a notepad. And the other partner shows up and he's like, hey, you working for us? I'm like, yeah. He's like, when are you starting? I'm like, already did. <laughs> And that was well <laughs> yeah, 10 and a half years ago. Wow. 10 and a half years ago. Time does fly. Yeah. Time flies. <laughs> Certainly. So you knew you always wanted to get into real estate. You started in, in insurance. You went into the operation side, sort of, we fell into it, I guess. Do you want to just give for our, our listeners, any of them out there, a more broad understanding of the real estate market, what you could have done besides for the operations? Certainly. I have a brother who's on a different track than I am, a similar but different track. Uh, he doesn't necessarily do too much in operations, but he does acquisitions. So he's looking at deals, properties that are for sale. He's focused in the same, a similar industry that I am in multifamily, so apartment buildings. Um, but he's looking at the deals. He's looking at spreadsheets and, you know, making financial models and analyzing them if they'll make money at this price or this price or this price and what they have to do to, you know, bring the rents up and projections. He's crunching a lot of numbers uh, every day. You know, he does go out to see properties and get a physical look at them. But that is also very much relationship based, calling brokers, finding the deals or calling owners and finding deals. And then um, he's also sourcing the money for the deals uh, to put packages together. Uh, and they use um, a, like a third party management company to operate. Now, then that being said, there are also bro there's also brokerage. So you can go into real estate by leasing apartments out, by selling houses, selling buildings, representing sellers, representing buyers in those transactions. And then there is also management, which you could do, even if you don't own properties, you can manage properties. So for people who own properties, but aren't either, you know, in the industry full time, or they have operation, you know, they have properties in multiple states, um, or multiple locations that they're not going to be, they don't plan to be there, so that you can manage the properties for them for, you know, either a monthly fee or however you know, that gets arranged. Usually there's a standard monthly fee plus whatever on top of that um, to manage properties. So there's broke acquisitions, management, operations, and then there's a plethora of other things that you can do also uh, in real estate, but those are some of the main. Uh, so it's either you're buying and selling or you're maintaining and managing. So whether like that would split up sort of that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in general, I mean, you can also just be an investor and just buy um, where someone else is, you know, doing the management for you. Um, but yeah, those are definitely the main, you know, main categories. I mean, there's a lot of finance related stuff that you can get into and split off and make a whole entire career out of. In order to be in the field, do you have to drive a pickup truck or is that your thing? Um, it's my thing. It's a nice perk. Um you know, if materials need to get to a site, then I'm happy to to use my truck. It, the The truck is also, you know, it, it used to fit my entire family. Now, thank God, we're a little bit bigger than 
than the truck than the seating capacity. I'd love a three. I'd love a three row truck. That would be like an <laughs> ideal thing. I don't even know if they make those, but that would be ideal. I, I get like Elon the, Musk on the phone. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm still in line for the Cybertruck. Oh, uh, but it looks like there's a lot of other electric trucks that have come out before it. But hopefully, I'll still get one one day. Um, <laughs> I like the fact that I could just put whatever I want on the back and and hit the road. I've taken it on some road trips. I definitely go to. I definitely pick up materials for properties or cabinets or whatever. Sometimes you get free deliveries. Sometimes you need to pick up a bunch of tile and just get a job done. Sometimes you need to pick up some things. So it's nice to just have, always have the room. You can um, also just throw a, a couch in the back and fit the rest of your family. I've thrown a lot of couches in the back of that truck. For <laughs> Dressers, couches, dining room tables, chairs, lazy boys, Pelotons, books, boxes. So you're um, getting good use out of it. Yeah, it's nice. Also, you know, I I like to be a guy that people can call for favors. And this is one of the things I can do. You know, I can just, you know, you got something that needs to go from A to B. I can help you out. I can help you get it there. It's a nice perk. It's also, yeah. It also looks cool. So you mentioned, um, speaking with you before, there was a specific project that you did in 2018 that was like a very special project in Buena Park. You want to tell a little bit about that? Sure. There's two specific reasons I think that it was that it's a, that it's a special project for me. Um, number one, it had it's it. Let's say it was about 2018 that we started the project, so we were looking at it in 2017. I had a lot of experience building up at that time. You know, we went from 2012 when I started to the end of 2017. That's a good you know five years uh, in real estate at the time. I had gone from managing you know, from being trained in to managing, you know, hundreds of units on my own, um, meaning as being my specific responsibility. And I gained a lot of experience in, you know, when we acquired buildings, remodeled them, you know, raised rents, make sure we take care of tenant issues, make sure we stabilize the building. Um, and you know, brought that process to sale on a couple of buildings already. Learned what products I like, or service providers, and um, you know, different technicians, contractors, subcontractors, uh, and learned a lot about the guts of the building and how things are structured and what unique characteristics I have to look for in each. So there was a lot of experience that was building up, and then we found this building. We looked at it once and it went on a wholesale cycle and it didn't uh, it didn't close, meaning that a lot of investors looked at it, but nobody nobody necessarily wanted it. Um, people thought it was overpriced, whatever the case may be. Um, so then we came in and um, we were able to identify the plan that we wanted to uh, enact in the building. The building was all original. So you're talking they still had, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but in old Chicago apartment buildings, and I assume elsewhere as well, they used to deliver ice to the property or they used to deliver milk to the property. So each apartment had like a front door and then it also had like a little, Flat. A little like ancillary door right next to it for deliveries to like in the ice box or or it might have been milk at the time or you know afterwards all the doors were still there all the ancillary doors which are you know very very old and they had the cast iron sinks 
that you'll see in um, the the ads from you know the 30s and 40s and 50s in old it was all original condition basically and the units were small and they were also very choppy so people just couldn't see the future of these units um but i knew from different experiences that i had that you know some walls were foundational and some were not and some you know some people were scared of how much rearranging and demolition and heavy lifting they would have to do when i knew i could I had the right people and the right process to do it um, at less of a cost than other people thought I could get done at. We made a, you know, a, an offer that we felt was competitive, but a good price and we got it. And when the broker sent around that the building closed and it was for, you know, X price per door, he had a, like seven investors who he, you know, who, who he had a relationship with come like, we didn't know that it, that you were selling buildings for that. He's like, well, you definitely saw the building i showed it to you in person and this was you know this was the best offer we got the sellers they they still have property in chicago but they were working on a big project and they needed they just wanted to um unload an, an asset that was going to take up too much of their funds um when they had something bigger that they were doing so it worked out for us and then i was able to run with it you know and instead of um you know second guessing myself or uh making more mistakes, you know, through the learning process, there were definitely mistakes made. I mean, nobody's perfect, certainly not me, but I was able to leverage all the, uh, the learning that I had done in the different building styles. And I was able to take, you know, something from this building, you know, a previous project that I worked on and, and another previous project and blend it all together to create new units that people walked in and they were like, I can't believe it. You know, this, I can't believe it used to look and that's also something that I love to do is take something that that looks not good and make it good. Take something that looks unappealing and then have someone be like, I would love to live here. Um, and that's what I did, you know, and also we developed like every space of the building. I had a great plan. And then even at the end of the even at the end of the plan, we squeezed in a few more like little little things that really worked out. And then we just sold it in uh, at the beginning of this year. It's nice to see a project go from the the entire quote unquote investment cycle of the project. It was uh, it was nice to see it. Wow, it sounds like also like a culmination of a like a really great opportunity, and like a turning, a turning point also. Yeah, you know, it was it was really where I knew the plan. Like I knew, you know, all the people, all the all the renters were on month to month leases. They were well under market. Um, there was, you know, so we had to do all the work. We had to empty out the building. We had to do a lot of different things all at once. And that, you know, the faster you can do the project, the faster you can turn it around. And it was amazing, you know, in, in 13, 14 months, we turned around the majority of 40 units and raised all the rents, a five, 600 range to, uh, you know, a 900 to a thousand dollar range in wow. 13 months to lead the project was uh was very gratifying i'm sure so i like to ask this question you're juggling a lot of different things uh, a lot of different projects a lot of learning new skills all the time do you have a favorite productivity hack or i could put it differently if you had a superpower that you can utilize in order to do your job better what would you use what would you pick so good question. Um, the productivity hack 
I'm I'm still a little old school and it's probably, you know, the way I was trained and the way just my brain works is I like to write lists. I'm a big legal pad guy. I tried to translate it into, um, you know, in into the digital world, uh, into different apps or, you know, to-do lists and stuff. Um, I do still use my, you know, I've got a phone and an iPad and a computer and um, it it just, I, I, it doesn't seem as effective as making lists. So when I have a lot of things to do, um, I try to make lists and on my legal pad and I divide it either by, by priority and property. Sometimes I'll make a list just to make a list again and really drill down on what really needs to get done. Having a list of to do's is always extremely important for me, especially because I have so many balls in the air um, all at once. So lists are very important. And uh, a superpower to keep everything organized, if I could like be in several places at once, would probably <laughs> be the best superpower. Um, you know, sometimes I'm here and they need me there. Um, and sometimes I'm there and they need me here. And sometimes I need to be, um, you know, at the, at a central location or at the office making phone calls to tenants. And I also have, uh, you know, an emergency, um, you know, on a water boiler and I want to do both things at once. Now, obviously we know the priority is there, but that, that leads to the next thing, which is finding good people and being able to delegate to good people is also extremely important, but in terms of a, a productivity hack, lists are extremely important. Having a plan on what you need to do and drilling it down is also great. And then I look back on my lists, which I love to do. And I, I'll go through, obviously I have to go through them to, you know, if I didn't accomplish something, I have to carry it on to the next day's list. Um, but also to see like, oh, I did that. And how did I do that? And it kind of gives me that one review or that Hazara where I'm able to concretize the learning kind of and and say like oh there was there were steps there that I had never done before but I now I realize you know it it was it it took a b and c to get it done and now the next time I don't even have to look at the list but since I reviewed it it just it it goes into my memory bank easier and then I know how to do it but sometimes I'll actually go back to an old notebook and I know in general what page it was on and I can find the process that I did and who I called or what I needed to do to get it done so I can repeat the process. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's what digitizing it would, cause you can do the control F, right? You can search it, but it sounds like you have a, you basically have that in your brain. That's pretty cool. I need to, I, I, I'm, that's uh, probably a next step of mine is to, uh, yeah, I would like to put my, my information. I've started doing it, but my, my way of management into like a book, or you know a pamphlet or something sure to, you want to like have like a, what you've learned how to teach it in a way that's structured and organized and for yourself to do a review but also if you're training somebody or someone wants to to do what you do to have a guide yeah i can't be in management i can't be uh the manager forever to progress where i really need to go i need to own and operate on a larger scale my own deals buy more deals and I need to hire people like me who can do the job that I'm doing now. And I would like to train them. Um, I've written some manuals for some subsets of jobs that I've now delegated in full. 
so I'm going to write more and then maybe I'll have a whole real estate operations book at some point. Well, on that note, if you had to write a book tomorrow, what would you write it about? Would it be about real estate or is there something else that, that you'd all, think, you want to write a book about? I think I'm going to write a book about real estate just because I think it'll serve me well professionally, whether it sells or it doesn't sell. I don't think that's something that's important. I have two other book ideas. Uh, I have three other book ideas. Um, one I'm not going to get totally into. I don't want anyone to rip me off, but I'm going to write, write a children's book. I'm going to write a children's book based on several uh, interactions that I've had with my own children. They led me to some, uh, I think, poignant and silly ideas that I want <laughs> that I want to mix together in like a lighthearted children's book. Uh, I have some really really good lines from my own children, and then you know that have just kind of sprung up in me. You know, at the end of a long day, the moment that it sprung from is. Uh, when you do like your best to entertain your children for like a whole day and then you're driving home, you know, you're leaving the place. So there's always a mixture of satisfaction. We had a great time, but oh man, like I'm tired and we're leaving the fun. <laughs> sure. So for those moments, there's a lot of beauty that, uh, that arises and I'm trying to, I have some notes written down um, on a legal pad? Yeah, uh, on a legal <laughs> pad. Um, this one's actually in my phone because it's it's a little shorter and it's um, it'll develop. I'm going to have to type it up. That's one idea as a children's book based on my experiences. But it'll be, you know, a short, fun, you know, fiction book. And then also the corona experience. I feel like there were so many layers. Uh, it's still hard to think about everything that went down and how it went down. But a lot of different people took a lot of different approaches. Specifically for me, I would focus on community leaders and how they addressed it. Um, I have some questions that I've already, uh, I've already concretized. There's about three or four main questions um, that I've posed to different community leaders locally um, on how they dealt with the crisis and what lessons they've learned. There's a few more specifics, but I'd like to kind of send that questionnaire out to more community leaders and see what comes back. I think that it was an unmitigated disaster for a long time, <laughs> not just with the sickness, but with everything else that went along with it, politically, communally, you know, lockdowns and, and mandates and everybody trying to figure out the best way to keep people safe and also live life that uh, there is a lot of lessons to be learned and I'd like to learn them instead of just, uh, you know, raging about them or, or arguing with people who will never change. Or I just want to learn. I think, I think that no matter how you reacted, I think that there's a lesson to learn from the whole thing because it definitely was, as they say, a quote unquote global pandemic. And uh, when there are situations that affect everybody as a whole, there's definitely lessons to learn. So I'd like to learn those lessons. And then the third thing is about um, is about my own life. I think it'd be more of like a diary and a reflection, but it definitely was not a straight line to get where I am right now. Uh, there are definitely some rocky roads. I'd like to write about that for probably catharsis, but also to see there lessons to be learned for a new generation on my path. Well, sign me up for all three of those. 
pre-order. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, those are, it, it sometimes feels like um, that pandemic didn't even really happen. But I can also, I can relate to you on some of those crazy things that kids say, especially at those like the end of the day, You're like just go to bed. But they have, like, that's when it just keeps coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it keeps coming. And sometimes um, I think children, I think being a good parent means being there in the moment and realizing a, the specifics and also the broader picture. I mean, listen, nobody's perfect, but when you find the moments of joy and humor, when the challenges strike, um, there's really, there can be a lot of beauty there. When your child like understands the humor while there's like a conflict going on or while there's just some, something more going on, um, there's a lot of power in that. Yeah. So I'm trying to, that, that's what the book is going to be about that, that moment of, uh, you know, conflict or stress or just issue and humor combining the two to get, to get somewhere beautiful. Yeah. Like when, uh, right at that breaking point, somehow some, a smile breaks out and then it turns into like a, a laugh, you know, like that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And it so, like diffuses the moment instead of making it worse. Right. Before I let you go, I, my understanding is that you're pretty active in the community as well with uh, not only with your own children, but with youth uh, over the weekends, coaching basketball with the upward organization. So what keeps you motivated? You were talking, you were talking about before um, that you like to be available to do good deeds for others. What keeps you motivated specifically in uh, to give back to the youth? It's a really great question. There's a long answer and a short answer. I'll give you the short answer which is humans are a group and you know, we're all part, we're all part of this one experience. We all have our own experience, but we're all part of this one larger experience and we need to be there for each other. That's the short answer. The longer answer is I grew up in a big family with big brothers and great parents and, and, and grandparents and everybody's got advice and everybody's, you know, everybody supports in their own way. But specifically I found a lot of love and support um, in my, my parents and um, my siblings and my grandparents who are all uh, dedicated to the community. My grandparents uh, were on, you know, school boards for a long time, very involved in their shoals for a long time. They still are involved at, uh, in the Associated Talmud Torahs. Giving back to the community is something that they, that they did in a big way and that they do. My parents are the same. A lot of communal work and a lot of helping people, whether it be uh, as president of a shul, rabbi of a shul, as uh, an advice giver in the community, working on community issues, large and small. Having conversations with people, I'll share a lot of lessons that I gained from from my parents and people find it that it resonates. So I have to find a way to keep that going. And then the second thing I do, the the youth minion, you know, on the weekends on Shabbos morning, there was always, you know, I don't know, you, you went to, you used to go to the B'nai Akiva minion, uh, which was a youth minion. And then we had the youth minion at Shurin. So the youth minion is still going strong. Rabbi Fliegelman did it for many, many years and Steve Moretzky and Rabbi Neuberger. And then uh, I was dominating in Yashurin and Rabbi Cohn asked me to do it. Steve Moretzky and Rabbi Cohn asked me to do it. And it was a good opportunity for me. I come from a family of teachers. And although I'm not 
uh, a teacher as my job, it's something that I can do. I love to daven. I love to pray. And I like to provide a space for kids to learn how to daven properly, to learn to, uh, to borrow a phrase from Philadelphia 76ers, to respect the process. That's a big part of why I do the youth meeting is because prayer establishes a relationship with God. And when you have a relationship with God and an ongoing conversation, um, you can continue to develop and grow. And that's very important. And I feel like if you don't unlock prayer, then you're missing out on a, on a significant tool to develop your relationship with God and with yourself. And I try to instill that, that this process has been going on for thousands of years. And if you learn the best way to do it and learn how to sit and learn how to do what you need to do, um, you know, and learn the words and learn what they mean and can't teach everything all at once, but to try to instill that it is important and that we're accomplishing right. something and that also you can do it. You know, I always tell the guys, this is your minion. I'm here to facilitate you guys making this that's extremely gratifying and then one time where we're all singing together and it's it makes it all worth it it makes all the headaches of who's laning and who's davening and do we have enough guys and but when everyone gets together and and sings that one song you know it's worth it or when we have like a great you know kiddish afterwards it's worth it and then with basketball i mean you and i you know we've been doing the give and go since uh the 90s um i i love to reveal our age over here <laughs> yeah you know but you know jason kidd kevin garnett those are my aside from michael jordan my basketball idols who i modeled my game after and um i i i love basketball and i like that uh, the next generation likes basketball and it's another way for me to give back and to keep that excitement going i think extracurriculars for youth is extremely important and if i can be a part of it uh, to maintain a positive environment for, for, you know, children and teenagers to develop their skills and develop camaraderie and develop sportsmanship and getting through obstacles and staying focused and a lot of team building stuff. I try to do my best to facilitate that. Yeah. Speaking of that, that give and go, I, I don't know if you remember this. One of these times I was back visiting, we we're playing in the, in the old Holtar gym and I had a good defender taking me at game point. Remember who it was? Sam Stelzer. Oh, yeah. Good, good defender. Very, defender. very, very good defender. Lefty. And lefty, yeah. And you said, kick it old school. I was like, I knew exactly what that was. Checked out the ball, give, go, flew right past them. That was, that was, a, cool. that was an epic play. Yeah. And we call the game right there. Yeah, kick it old school. And, you know, we probably did that, I mean... I mean, we practiced it a thousand times at least, and we did it in the gym during games another thousand times. So even though we hadn't played in a while together, there's, you know, those connections on the basketball court. It was basically just muscle memory for us. We unlocked it and game. Yeah, I don't point. think, uh, do you think there's anyone in Chicago that could beat us two on two right now? Um, probably not. Maybe just because we're older and slower. <laughs> but probably not. I'll say I'll say <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show. That was really excellent. It was great to learn a little about the operation side of real estate, to hear about the bigger ambition around Chinuch, about raising children, helping the community grow, and obviously a little bit of basketball. 
Thank you all for listening. And Ephraim, thank you for painting the industry of real estate a little more for us. Thanks for having me. Peace out. Na, na, na.